And we're looking at John 4, and then we're going to be looking at Proverbs 20. In John 4, you see the story of the woman that was at the well of Samaria that Jesus met. He asked her to give him a drink of water. And, uh, you know, she began to question him about how that the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. Then he told her, he said, if you knew who it was that was speaking to you, you would have asked him for a drink of water and he would have given you living water. And she said, well, sir, the well is deep. and You don't have anything to draw with. Where are you going to get this living water? And in verse 13, Jesus answered and said unto her, whosoever drinketh of this water, shall thirst again. If you drink natural water, it's only temporary. As far as your thirst being quenched, you will need to drink again, won't you? But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Glory to God. He's talking about salvation. He's talking about the Holy Spirit in us, in the new birth. Now later on over in John 7, in fact we've talked about it a couple of times, let's just turn over and look at it while we're this close to it. John 7, Jesus said this, verse 37, John 7, 37, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst... Let him come unto me and drink. Let him come unto me and drink. Let him wait on me until I just uh, force it down his throat. No, let him get up and come. Amen? And let him drink. You know, a lot's up to the individual, isn't it? So many times people are, are waiting on the Lord to pour out a blessing upon them. He's waiting on them to come drink. Amen? It says, if any man thirst, let him pray and beg until I, you know, feed him intravenously. Huh? I think some people must think that way, don't they? No, let him do what? Let him fast and, and pray until an angel appears with a water bottle. No, no. Let him or her come unto me. Come unto me. Come unto me. Amen. How many of what James said about drawing nigh to the Lord? If you wait on Him to approach you, then you can get close to God. What? No, what did it say? If you draw near unto Him, then He will draw nigh or near unto you. Who initiates this? We do. Who does the, the drawing nigh first? We draw nigh and then he responds. Actually, the first move was God's and he's already made it. You understand? And now it's our move. I said now it's our move. Amen. The Lord moved in Jesus. When he came and became flesh and took our sins and paid the price and restored us and reconciled us under the favor and grace of God. And that's our move. 
And he's blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. He's, he, he's delivered us. He's healed us. He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. He's made us more than conquerors. He's given us the victory. He's done it. He's moved. Amen? Many times folks are wait, waiting for God to move. Well, God's moved. I said, he's moved. God has moved. And what a move. I said, and what a move. My, 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 my. God comes down from heaven, becomes man. Amen. Walks in power. Exercise authority over demons and nature. Becomes sin with our sin. Pays the price. Uh, experiences the darkest uh, thing that anyone could, beyond what anybody could imagine, in being made sin with our sin. Brought down to the heart of the earth, the Bible said. Oh, but he was raised by the glory of God. What a move. What a move. God has moved. And now the language of the New Testament is not wait for God to move. The language is come. Come and drink. Come and partake. Come and get it. Amen? Come and get it. He goes on to say, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. 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 Drink's another way of saying draw, isn't it? We've been talking about draw it up. I mean that one, one particular way of drinking is drinking with straws. Isn't that right? You ever drink with a straw? I didn't say you made it a custom. I said, have you ever? Have you ever drunk with a straw? Well, you're drawing it up. Isn't that right? You're drawing something up and out. You're drinking. Drinking and drawing are virtually the same thing. He that believeth on me, he said, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly, out of his belly, from the inside of him, shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. But how many know that Jesus has been lifted up? He has been made our, our sacrifice. And he, ha he was crucified, he was laid low, but he has been raised and he has been glorified. Is that right? And the Spirit has been given. Has been poured out on the day of Pentecost as is recorded in Acts 2. Amen. When they were all gathered together in one accord in one place, and there came a sound from heaven like as a rushing mighty wind, filled all the house where they were sitting, there appeared in them cloven tongues like as a fire, set upon each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. It has happened. Jesus has been glorified. The Spirit's been given. And he said that this scripture would be fulfilled. That all those that were thirsty would come unto him, and they would drink. And as they would drink out of their belly. Now here's, here's the key. When we think of drinking, we think of drinking from the outside. Don't we? From taking something outside of us and pouring it into us. But see, he didn't say that. He didn't say you'll come and drink and something from the outside. He said that you'll drink from out of your belly. Amen? Uh, you, you come to drink, and where's it going to come from? Out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. Now, when he says belly, he's not just talking about your natural stomach. He's talking about the core of your being, your insides. The New Testament uses the language of, uh, uh, you know, this kind of language in talking about the, the heart of an individual, 
the, the hidden man of the heart, as Peter calls it. The spirit of a man, the spirit of a person. And the Bible talks about bowels of compassion, the heart, the belly. You know, when we talk about our heart spiritually, we shouldn't put our hand up here. Are you listening? See, many times when people talk about my heart, they put their hand up here. Because see, they're thinking blood pump. Actually, up here is more the seat of the emotions. Are you listening? And actually, many times people, the reason they, 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 they talk about their heart and they hold up here is because they're confusing their soul and their emotions for their spirit. Now, I won't get into that. I don't have time. But, uh, but it's a thought to consider. But where, where is your spirit? The heart of man. And when we say heart, we, we use the word heart uh, in the natural. We, we open, you know, split a watermelon and say, there's the heart of the melon. My wife always tells me, don't eat the heart of the watermelon. Because that's the part I like. I like to just eat that and leave the rest of it. But, and she knows if I get it first, then it's, you know, it's gone. Uh, don't eat the heart of the watermelon. You cut down a tree and you point to the middle and say, this is the heart of the oak, the heart of the pine. What's the heart of a man? What's the heart of a woman? Their spirit. And the Bible uses the language uh, of the belly. Amen. The, the, the loins, the heart, the bowels. That's the kind of language that it's used. And, and you can sense, you know. Sometimes when your heart's grieved about something, I mean, it can affect you so really that your stomach will hurt. Are you listening? And I mean, you, you can sense. It affects, it's not physical, but it can affect the physical. And out of his belly, out of his spirit, out of the hidden man of the heart, he said, will flow rivers of living water. Now, he mentions two, uh, two different forms of water. He mentions in John 4 a well of, of living water, a well. And here in John 7, he mentions rivers. Now, we know that water here is a type of the Holy Ghost, don't we? In this passage, he specifically said that he's talking about the Holy Ghost. But we also know that, that a well of water is one manifestation of water and that rivers are a different manifestation. I know there's a difference between a well and rivers. Absolutely. But somebody said, what, what, what are we supposed to experience? We're supposed to experience both. The well is what, you, what, what happens in the new birth. Descriptive of the work of the Spirit and the water of life in the new birth. But there's more to it than that. Amen? We're also supposed to have the rivers of living water flowing out of us in ministry to others. And this has to do with the baptism with the Holy Spirit as is described in Acts 2 and other places. Amen? Thank God, thank God, thank God for the Holy Ghost in all of His divers' manifestations. Thank God for the living water, the water in the well, the water that rains, the water that floods, the water that pours out like rivers, the water that falls like dew. Amen? The water that boils us up, waters that are ankle-deep, knee-deep, and waters to swim in. Amen? The living waters that flow from the throne of God, the waters of life. That Ezekiel said, everywhere the river goes and the water goes, there's life and there's healing everywhere that water touches. Praise God, praise God. And where does that water come from? It comes from God, but where is it located right now? In you. We sing, I've got a river of life flowing out of me. That's the truth. That's the word. We have within us a well of living water. And if we will yield to it, we can have rivers of water that flow out of us and through us to minister to other people. Now, the well of living water is primarily for your own personal benefit. 
Amen. But rivers have to do with ministering to other people. How I many of you got a home and you got a well? Well, that's not necessarily for the for the whole state or county, right? I mean, you you know that's that's your well, and from the well you should you should have the fruit of the spirit developing in your life. Out of the well should come love and joy, peace, amen. All the other fruit of the spirit: long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, temperance. All of the fruit of the spirit. The life of God, the blessings of God, the joy of God for you personally should flow out of that well. And anybody that's born again has the well within them. But now then we go beyond the well to the rivers of living water. That's the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Just because you're born again doesn't mean you automatically have that. You have to receive and yield to the Holy Spirit further. Amen. Same Holy Spirit, not a different spirit. Same Holy Spirit, but different dimension of the Spirit. Different dimension of the anointing. Different dimension of power. And just because you've received the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues, that doesn't mean you've arrived either. There's always more. How many know there's always more in God? There's always, always, always more in God. Don't ever get self-satisfied and complacent and say, well, I've arrived because you sure have not. No matter how far you've come, no matter what you've received and how blessed you might be, you've just really scratched the surface in God. Oh, may the Lord open our eyes to see how much there is in Him for us to enjoy and partake of. But now, in noticing these passages, let's look back over to Proverbs at our other text scripture. And notice again the thought that, that's mentioned here, Proverbs 20, verse 5. Proverbs 20, verse 5. It says, Counsel in the heart of man is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. Counsel in the heart of man is like deep water, deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. We're saying, and we have been saying all week, that if you're born again, the Bible teaches very clearly that the Spirit of God lives inside of you. He's referred to by many different ways. One of the ways we saw him referred to is as a well of living water, uh, uh, rivers of living water. Many other ways he's referred to. But we're, but we're talking about the Holy Spirit. One and the self-same Holy Spirit. But because he's in us, everything he knows, everything he understands, everything he sees, everything he hears, everything he has, everything he can do, is in us. And the potential for tapping into any and all that he is and knows and has, is ours and there. Amen. So many times people are looking out here for the answer, when the answer is in God, and God's in them, if they're really born again Christian. We need to learn to look inside, don't we? Instead of looking here and looking there and looking at the other, you know? So many people bless their hearts, they're, you know, Christians. Now, it's one thing if, if unbelievers do this. I mean, they don't know any better. They don't have God inside. They don't have the resources inside to tap into. I mean, all they got is them. Their wit, their brawn, their energy. That's pathetic, isn't it? Isn't that sad? <laughs> How'd you like to know that you're left in, in life with nothing but what you know and what you have and what you can do? I mean, you are on your own. 
I, I wouldn't want that at all. I, I don't even want to consider that, contemplate that. How I many know what I mean? Now you might, you, some, a lot of Christians I know, bless their hearts, they, 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 for all practical purposes, they say, well, I, they say, well, I feel like I'm alone. I mean, that's the, that's the way I thought it was. It seems like you've got to rake by and scrape by the best you know how. Well, that's up to you. We said the Holy Spirit helps some people more than he does other people. I said the Holy Spirit helps some people a lot more than he does some other people. But it's not because he's a respecter of persons. And it's, it's not because that he doesn't want to help the other people. It's because some people have learned how to tap into his resources and utilize what's available to them and other people are still trying to do it in their own strength. Amen. And so many times folk think, well, it's just, well, God in his sovereignty blesses some people and other people are just left to fend on their own. No, no. The resources of God are available to all his children. He said, all that I have is yours. In, st in studying the story of the prodigal son, the father divided unto them his inheritance. He gave it equally. One of them took it and wasted it. Another one didn't even take advantage of any of it and got bitter and griped because he said, you never gave me anything, which was a lie. So many Christians live such a meager existence. And it's not because God hasn't given it's because they don't realize what he's given and they are not tapping into it and they are not drawing it out. In the New Testament, we're not taught to just pray and beg and plead and pray and beg and plead that God would bless us and give us something. We're told again and again that in Christ we have already been blessed. We have been delivered. We have been healed. We have the mind of Christ. The greater one is in us. Amen? We have an inheritance among those that are sanctified. Isn't that right? That he has, you know, I, the Bible says, eyes not seen, ears not heard, neither is any of the heart of, uh, of those that, of people, the things that God has prepared for those that love him. But he has revealed them unto us by his spirit. Has revealed them. And he winds up in that, that second chapter of 1 Corinthians by saying that we have the mind of Christ. Now, people may say, well, well, if I have the mind of Christ, why am I so dumb and confused? Why are things so dark and tough for me? If I have the strength of God in me, if I have the Holy Ghost in me, if I have the healing power in me, why are things so tough for me? Because you're not drawing on it. It's possible to have God himself in the person of the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you, but for all practical purposes, it's almost like he wasn't even there. And that's the state of many Christians. The first step to remedying that situation is that you have got to acknowledge who and what is in you. Amen? Go with me uh, to, to Philemon, why don't you? Let's, let's remind ourselves of this. Philemon. Anybody excited about this besides me? Philemon. Now, if you don't know where Philemon is, you can find Hebrews and back up, or you can find Titus and go forward. Philemon, in between Titus and Hebrews. Just one chapter. And Philemon, verse 6. Paul's praying for them. And uh, 
He prayed for them, verse 6. He said that the communication of your faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. That the communication of your faith, or as one translation says, the fellowship of your faith, the fellowship of your faith may become effectual. How many want your faith to be effectual? Here's a key to your faith being effectual. What is it? By the acknowledging, everybody say acknowledging, of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Here's a key. Here's a key. Instead of acknowledging the ignorance that's in your head, acknowledge the omniscience that's in your heart. Amen. 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 Instead of acknowledging the weakness that's in your flesh, acknowledge the greater one who's in your spirit. The power that lives inside of you. Amen. 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 Instead of acknowledging your darkness and inability to see and understand what's going on and acknowledging your confusion and acknowledging your, you know, distortion of everything, acknowledge that he who has the counsel and plan of God is in me. The counsel is in me. The plan is in me. Isn't that what he said? Counsel is like deep water in the heart of a man. It's in there. Maybe so deep that you could drop a pebble and it takes a long while before you hear it. Bloop. Well, that's way down in there. Way down in there. And the more carnal you are, the deeper it seems. I mean, know what I'm talking about. The, the more carnal... Uh, uh, one, uh, and I, I say this with reservations, but it's true anyway. It's the, the language of the Scripture bears it out. The Greek bears it out. But one, one way, one, one very descriptive way of saying carnal is saying thick-fleshed. Thick-fleshed. Now, that doesn't mean that if you're a few pounds overweight that you're necessarily super carnal. That doesn't mean that. But when we say thick-fleshed, it means that there's a lot of flesh. Right? Um, You see scriptures like this. In fact, I I better give you a scripture on that. Some of you won't believe me on that. Uh, Go back with me, if you would, to Matthew, the 13th chapter. Matthew chapter 13, verse 15. Matthew 13, 15. 13, 15 of Matthew. It says, For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. Waxed gross. Now that's that's kind of a uh, an archaic phrase, but it means thick, fat, and unfeeling. Thick, fat, and unfeeling. And why is it that your heart would wax over gross? Well, it's because of the flesh. The flesh. I know the Bible tells us in Galatians five that there's a conflict between our heart and our flesh. We want our heart to be strong and clear and sensitive. Amen? But through yielding to the flesh in many ways, it'll it'll cause your heart 
to wax gross, and it'll, it, it'll cause you to be thick and calloused and unfeeling. And that thickness uh, causes you to sense a distance between what's in your heart and how you live. And it makes it seem like that what's in your heart is miles away, and so hard for you to get to, and so hard to get out. But it's really not. I said, it's really not. You know, in talking about salvation in Romans 10, you know, we're familiar with those that ninth and tenth verse when it talks about believing to be saved and confessing with your mouth. But you know, he, he in describing that, we'll just turn there. Romans 10. You get more out of it if you read it, I guess. Romans 10. You don't mind turning to a few verses today, do you? Romans 10. Verse 6, he says, But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. Say not in thine heart who shall ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who shall descend into the deep, that is to bring up Christ again from the dead. But what saith it? The word is near thee, nigh thee, near thee, even in your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith which we preach. He said, don't say that you've got to go up to heaven to get the answer. Or that you've got to go down to the depths to bring up the answer. He said, it's near. It's close. How close is the answer? It's as close as your mouth and your heart. Now, why did he include mouth? Because the mouth is the means by, by which you draw up out of the heart. I said, the mouth is the means by which you draw up out of the heart. We talked about that yesterday. We read from Isaiah. You don't have to turn there, but I'll read it to you again. In Isaiah 12, he had said in verse 3, Therefore with joy shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation. With joy you'll do it. And then he immediately talks about shouting and praising God and glorifying God and singing you do those things with your mouth, don't you? Isn't that right? And he's not talking about that you're saying things in a depressed way or a mournful way or a discouraged way. He says you are doing it with joy. And that's indicative of faith. That I'm speaking with faith. I'm singing with faith. I'm shouting with faith. And what I'm doing by those words of faith, I am drawing up out of the wells of salvation. Amen. And then we went into some detail yesterday talking about how, about the, the, the importance of, of being able to pray in other tongues and the importance of being able to prophesy. Now I realize that when you say prophesy, some people immediately think of just predicting the future. But that's an incorrect, uh, thought about what prophecy is. Yes, uh, many times prediction can be ministered through prophecy, but prophecy in and of itself is just simply speaking unto men to edification, exhortation, and comfort. It's simply speaking by inspiration. Instead of speaking out of your head, you're speaking by inspiration out of your heart. Amen. That's the way you speak in tongues. That's the way you prophesy. It takes faith. Faith is how you do it. And that's the reason why many people don't do it. Is because of lack of understanding and lack of faith. I've heard folks say when they're talking about speaking in tongues of prophecy, well, what do I say? Well, it's not something you hear. It doesn't come out of your head. 
It's a faith proposition entirely. You don't know what you're going to say. And even when you say something, you don't know what you're going to say next. Isn't that right? But you just speak by faith, expecting and believing God to help you to express what's in your heart. And what you're doing is you're drawing it out. I said you're drawing it out. And don't you remember we read over there in 1 Corinthians 14. I'm just reviewing. If you want the whole thing, tapes are available. But, but we talked about how that uh, the Bible said, if you speak in an unknown tongue, that no man understands you, but, but God understands you, you're speaking unto him, and that you're speaking out mysteries. Mysteries. Well, why would you want to pray out mysteries? Because this, I heard Brother Hagin say this several years ago, it's an excellent statement. I know the Lord gave it to him. I was there. He, he, he said it, you know, he just said it by inspiration before he thought about it. It came out of his heart. He learned something when he said it. Uh, and this is what he said. He said, uh, mysteries prayed out bring revelation. When you, in other words, when you pray out mysteries, it brings revelation. When you're praying out those mysteries in other tongues, it's drawing up light and revelation to illumine your path. When you don't know what to do, you need to pray out the mystery. When something's a mystery to you and it's dark to you and you don't understand, you're confused, you're perplexed. I know I learned a real lesson one time a few years back. I was kind of going through a bit of a transition in a certain area of my life. And, you know, some transitions can be uncomfortable. How many know that? God's moving you from one thing to another or trying to get you to see some things. You know, oftentimes growth can be very uncomfortable. I said oftentimes growth can be very uncomfortable. Some of the greatest moves that I've ever made that caused me to grow and opened up whole realms of wonderful blessings to me, getting to that move and through that move was intensely uncomfortable. And it wasn't because of God that it was uncomfortable. It was because of me. Because, you know, human beings tend to be creatures of habit. Say what you will. Somebody say, well, I don't confess that over me. That's the way it is. All right? I didn't say, I didn't tell you to confess it over yourself. That's just the way it is. People are. And if you're not careful, people make, they like to make their plans. And people get their own ideas about what God, what, what God's plan for them is. And you know, Brother Hagin has an excellent book on that subject, Plans, Purposes, and Pursuits. Excellent. If you haven't read it, read it. If you hadn't read it, you know, in a long time, read it again. It's excellent material about following God's plan, pursuing His purpose and plan for you instead of just pursuing your own. And, uh, there have been times in my life that I just got, you know, just, I should have been happy, should have been comfortable, should have been satisfied. Things in the natural were going good for me. But I just got unhappy, just got un, uncomfortable and unsettled on the inside. And it was very uncomfortable and unpleasant, but I thank God for it. Because if he'd have just left me alone, I'd have just stayed doing what I was doing and would have never made the transition and adjustments to get to some other things. To where I could begin to draw out some other things from other portions of the well. Amen? So when you get uncomfortable and you get disgruntled, don't just go around and make everybody else miserable about it. Realize that, that it's not because of God that you're that way, that you're going to have to make some changes. And the sooner you make the changes, the sooner you're going to get comfortable again. Amen. See, a lot of people, they'll go for long lengths of time disgruntled and unhappy and dissatisfied, not because of God. It's because it takes them so long to change and obey God. Did you hear me? It's the truth. 
I, you know, and I'm not just telling you something from, from theory. I'm telling you something from first-hand experience. That I've known different times in my life when sometimes just in ignorance, I was dragging my feet on making some adjustments and some changes. And you just, you know, it's caused a lot of unnecessary discomfort and, and, and disgruntlement for yourself. Well, that if you can get in there and see what God wants you to see and make the changes, I mean, you can, you can eliminate a lot of the distress that people go through otherwise. Amen. You know, how many remember the story of Jacob wrestling with the angel of the Lord? Remember that in Genesis? He met the angel of the Lord and he wrestled with the angel of the Lord and he wrestled with him all night. <laughs> And uh, in the morning, who had changed? <laughs> God? Uh-uh. Who got a new name? Jacob. See, that, that struggling all through the night was not symbolic of God not wanting to bless. Say, so, well, if you, you know, if you can twist my arm hard enough, I'll bless you. Is that the Lord? Really? I mean, think about it. Who got the name change? Jacob got his name changed from Jacob, which meant supplanter and deceiver and tricker, to Israel, which meant prince. Amen. See, he'd been a, a tricker and a supplanter for a long time. <laughs> and, he, and he's coming back home, and he thinks for sure Esau's going to kill him because of the way he tricked him and what he did. And, and, and he, so to speak, prayed through that night. How many of them, if you think you're going to die the next day, you get serious about praying, isn't that right? Yeah. And sometimes things that you have put off changing for years, you think, man, I, I'd better go ahead and get this right with God. I mean, yeah, yeah. I may die tomorrow. You're right. And it was a struggle, but he changed. And he left limping because he was so hard-headed and hard, slow to change. Some folk make it hard on themselves, don't they? Because some people are, you know, so much more stubborn than others. You know, it's a good thing to be perseverant when you're in a right thing. Amen? It's a good thing when, you, when you're in something you know is right. To be steadfast, immovable, not be wavering. I mean, you, you know what's right, you got your mind made up, and you can't be moved off of it. That's good. But... Completely different thing between that and you just being hard-headed about your way. Amen. So many folk, just, they're just hard-headed. They're just slow to change. And so it costs them in many ways. I said it costs them. Because see, the, Lord, the Lord's not going to make us do something. If we want to stiffen ourselves and be hard-headed about it, He'll let you do what you want to do. But it'll cost you. It won't be his fault. The Lord won't make you do something. He'll let you go your own way. But the Bible said the way of the transgressor is hard. It's hard. You know, uh, the Lord asked Saul when he met him on the road to Damascus. He said, he said to Saul, isn't it hard for you to kick against the pricks? That's a good question. Actually, the word prick there is a, is a little bit blind. Uh, if you look it up, you find that it actually means uh, like an ox goad or a cattle prod. Like a, a, a 
herdsman might use a pointed stick and the cow's not going the right way, he pokes the cow to get the cow. But, you know, cows, and I know this from first-hand experience, are prone to kick at anything that you poke at them with. We had milk cows for a while when I was on the farm. And uh, we'd run them up through the stall and put the milking machine on them. And, and uh, when you got ready for them to go, a lot of times they didn't want to go. They want to keep eating the feed. But you've got to get them out so you can get other cows so you're not there all day. And so you take a little stick and bump their leg. And a lot of times when you do that, you better be out of the way because they will kick. A lot of times they don't realize if they kick that stick, it's going to hurt their leg. But they're a cow. Right? But how I many know humans are supposed to be more intelligent than cows? Is that right? But so many times they're not. The Lord's kind of prod them. Go this way. Go this way. And what are they doing? Kicking against it. Well, you kick against it, what's going to happen? You're going to hurt yourself. You're going to make yourself miserable. Isn't that right? And then you probably make everybody else around you miserable too. Because you're miserable. And the biggest issue is that you're just hard-headed and don't want to obey God. Now, I didn't intend to say all this today. But it's something to think about. I said it's something to think about. Can you say amen? amen. Don't kick against the pricks. Make it easy on yourself. Make it easy on your wife. Make it easy on your husband. Make it easy on your kids. Amen. Make it easy. By what? Obey. Quickly. Quickly obey. As soon as you see, as soon as you sense something's not right, seek God and find out. When you see what you need to do, even if it's something your flesh is kind of pulling against, crucify your flesh, obey. Do it. It may seem hard at first, but it's actually the easy way. I said it's actually the easy way. The thing that's hard is disobeying and going your own way. That's what's hard. That's going to cost you. It can cost you in many more ways than you ever imagined. And the further you go, the more costly it gets. How many know the Lord knows best? Something that you think you might not want to do that He's dealing with you to do, it's just because you don't know. Amen. Oh, I wouldn't like that. How do you know? Oh, I wouldn't like it there. How do you know? Trust God. I said, trust God. He made you. He knows what makes you tick. Amen. I mean, He's put it. He knows what's in you. He knows what you can do. He knows what the right place and the right work is for you. He knows. He knows. Trust Him. Don't second guess Him. Don't question Him. He knows better what's good for you than what you know. Trust Him. And you make an adjustment on the inside of you. Don't yield to your flesh and speak what you feel and what you want all the time. Be quick to change. I mean, you know, if, if, if you're looking at something and you think, man, I would never do that. I don't want to do that. Mm-mm. No, sir. And the Lord prompts you and says, I want you to do that. Now you can soul up about it. You can poke your lip out. And pout. Well, I don't want to do that. That's not what I want. I had, I got this plan. And I want to do this. I think this would be good. I don't think I like that place. I don't, I think I like those people. I don't think I like doing that. 
I don't know how good the money's going to be. I don't know about this. I don't know about that. But now you can make it hard on yourself. And you can be miserable next time we see you. <laughs> Amen. Next time we see you, you can have bruises all over your leg where you've been kicking against the prick. And the Lord said, isn't it hard to kick against the pricks? He said, that's hard, isn't it? He's asking Saul, he said, Saul, isn't that hard? Don't that hurt when you kick like that against the prick? That hurts, don't it? <laughs> I tell people, you know, if you ask them, does that hurt? Yeah, but they kick again. Don't that hurt? Yeah, but they kick at it again. They're crying, tears rolling on their face. They're so unhappy, but they're still kicking. How about some folk are that way? That's their nature. That they, the, the nature of the flesh, that they won't crucify. Well, I know, I know I should do it. I know I should, but I'm not. We'll suffer all. Well, I know I should change that. I know I should. I know I should. I know the Lord's dealing with me about that. But I just, I just, I, I'm just not ready to. We'll suffer all. Suffer all. Well, I can't. That's a lie. That's a lie. I can't is a lie. Everybody say, I can't is a lie. If you say, I can't do what the Lord wants me to do, then you're saying the Lord's unreasonable. He's asking me to do something I cannot do. He is unreasonable. He is unrealistic. He's unfair. That's a lie. He's already considered all things before he ever dealt with you about doing it. He knows everything. Amen? Make it easy on yourself. If you're looking at something, you say, well, I don't, I don't like that. I don't want that. And the Lord says, I want you to do that. You know, you can change just like that. You can go, okay. It's possible. You can change just like that. If you have enough confidence and faith that God knows best. He knows more about it than you do. Everything that looks good to you is not good for you. It's not right for you. Everything that looks like something you wouldn't like, it may be something that just thrills you once you get into it. You won't find out till you obey. Can you say amen? amen? Praise God. I don't have that in my notes anywhere. But I think it's something we need to talk about today. But you remember that verse of Scripture in Philemon? You don't have to turn back there again, but you remember that? Where he said that we are to acknowledge every good thing that's in us in Christ? Acknowledge. Acknowledge. When it comes to direction, this is something that will help you as much in, in being led and being directed as, as, you know, as a lot of other things. And that is, instead of confessing, I don't know what I'm going to do, I just don't know, I can't seem to hear from God, I don't know, I've prayed and I can't tell, nobody knows. Instead of going around and confessing multiple times a day, I don't know. I don't know. What are you going to do? I don't know. What should you do? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Guess what your faith's going to be in? In your ignorance. What you don't know. You, I mean, the more you say that, faith comes by hearing, and after a while you're going to be fully persuaded that you don't know. That's not a good thing to be persuaded of. What should you be acknowledging? Every good thing that's in you in 
Christ Jesus. Acknowledge that. See, the first step you got, you got to acknowledge what's in you. You can quote, you can quote 1 John 2. You can say, I have an unction of the Holy One in me and I know all things that I need to know. I have an anointing. The Holy Ghost is in me. He leads me. He guides me into all truth. He, he brings to remembrance all things the Lord has said to me. He even shows me things to come. Amen. He bears witness with my spirit and causes me to know what I need to know. He is leading me. He is guiding me. He is ordering my steps. He's The Lord's my shepherd. I'm His sheep. I know His voice. He leads me and I'll follow. And a stranger's voice I'll not follow. That's the Word. That's faith. But see, how many, how many times have folks, Christians, charismatics, going around pulling their hair? I don't know. What are you going to do? I don't know. Dear God, what are we going to do? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Let me tell you how I found that out. A few years ago, uh, I was going through the, through the course of the day. It seemed like every time I turned the corner, somebody was asking me a question that I needed to make a decision on. And that's not the last day that happened. But, uh, but folks were saying, oh, what about this? And, and I said, I don't know. What about this? And I said, I don't know. What about, what are we going to do about this? I don't know. What are we going to do about this? I don't know. And I probably said, I don't know half a dozen times, you know, just in a short period of time. And the Lord spoke to my heart very clearly. He said, yeah, and you won't find out like that. So I wasn't in faith. I'm just, I'm just acknowledging, I don't know. Is that what Philemon said? Go around and acknowledge every weakness that's in your flesh. <laughs> but that's what many do. Acknowledge every good thing that is in you in Christ. That's the first step to drawing it out. You've got to acknowledge that it's in there. You've got to keep your eyes looking that way. Keep your mind on the fact of who and what is in me. Acknowledge it. Acknowledge Him. Acknowledge it all the time. All the time. All the time. All the time. Acknowledge, acknowledge, acknowledge. You know, uh, charismatics used to be strong on that. Back in the 70s. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, people have made fun of folk having their confession list and made fun of folk, you know, doing this and getting up every morning and making 50 confessions or what have you. But I'm telling you, I think some folk need to get back to some of those things. Amen. You understand what I'm saying? I don't mean you need to be mechanical about things. I don't mean that. I don't mean you just need to get ritualistic about things. But I do mean that we need to practice this verse of Scripture by acknowledging every good thing that is in us. We need to do it on a regular basis. Confessing things. You know, if you don't have it, you might want to get Brother Hagee's little mini book. I think it just costs like, what, 50 cents or something like that? Uh, in him. How much is it? 75. Uh, I bought mine years ago. Uh, 75 cents. And, uh, you know, it's got all kind of verses about who you are in Christ, what you have in Christ, what you can do, and it's got a lot of confessions. You can just go back there and confess those. And that can be a big tool to help you to acknowledge every good thing that's in you. The Holy Ghost is in me. Strength is in me. Wisdom is in me. The mind of Christ is in me. Amen. The direction of God is in me. The plan and counsel of God is in me. Amen. The love of God is in me. Now, see, that's what you need to do when you feel like slapping somebody. Isn't that right? You don't acknowledge the anger that's in you. What? But that's what people do. I'm so mad, I could just... You know? You're acknowledging the wrong thing. Just because it's there doesn't mean you have to acknowledge it. 
and talk about it because it's going to get bigger when you do. Especially when you feel like just letting somebody have it, you need to acknowledge, I have the love of God in me. I don't feel like it, but I have the love of God in me right now. Amen. That love of God is shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Ghost and it bears long, it's patient and kind, glory to God, and it's working in me now, effectually. And you keep talking that way and the red color will leave your ears. I mean, know what I'm talking about. And your fist will relax. But you keep talking about, oh, I tell you what, I'm so mad, I am so mad, I am so mad, I could just... Burst. Well, you're liable to burst. You're liable to do something you're going to really regret later. Mar your Christian testimony. Get in the flesh and mess up big time. Isn't that right? Yeah. Why? Because you're acknowledging what was in your flesh instead of acknowledging who and what is in your spirit and in your heart. Acknowledge, acknowledge that the communication of your faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every, 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 everybody say every? every, every good thing which is in you. Now, if it's a bad thing, you don't acknowledge it. That doesn't mean you deny it, but you don't acknowledge it either. You might say, well, I've just got the worst temper. Quit talking like that. I tell you what, I just, I am so impatient. Well, you're never going to grow like that. Are you listening? I am so dumb. I am so klutzy. I've got such a problem with desire. I am so whatever. See, you're acknowledging what's in your unrenewed mind. You're acknowledging what's in your flesh. You're acknowledging the problems and past failures. That'll keep you in bondage. It'll keep you in defeat. But the communication of, faith, of your faith will become effectual and effective by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Praise God. Well, I've already preached you three sermonettes and I hadn't, hadn't got to my other sermon yet. Real briefly, go with me to uh, Mark, the fifth chapter. Mark chapter five. And let's talk from this area just a little bit. I'm not trying to keep you too long, but we'll look at this a little bit about how to draw it out. Mark 5, very familiar portion of Scripture here. It's the account of the woman that had the issue of blood. Let's read it again, remind herself. Mark 5, 25. Let's start in 24, verse 24. Jesus went with them, and much people followed him and thronged him. And a certain woman which had an issue of blood twelve years had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was nothing better but rather grew worse. When she had heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, If I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus immediately, knowing in himself that virtue, or that's the word for power, had gone out of him, he turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? And he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. 
But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. I want you to notice something here. This woman drew healing power out of Jesus with a touch of faith. Didn't she? The Bible did not say on this particular instance, incident that Jesus ministered healing power to her through the laying on of hands. Right? She drew it out without even notifying him that that's what she was going to do. She just assumed it would be alright. Or maybe she thought she'd do it and he wouldn't know it. I'll just slip up through there and draw out some healing power and fade out in the crowd and nobody will know. But healing power is real and tangible. She was aware when it came into her. The Bible said immediately her issue of blood or her, or her internal hemorrhage stopped and she felt and knew in her body that she's healed. She could tell it right then. I mean, she didn't have to go get a doctor's report. She knew. She could tell that she was healed right now. And Jesus stopped in his tracks. He said, who touched me? And the disciples let us know that there are crowds all around him. There are people touching him on every side. So, I mean, it's not just a physical touch that he's talking about. He felt a draw. He sensed a draw on the anointing that was on him. Didn't he? We're talking about drawing it out. Here's a woman that drew it out. And how did she draw it out? Faith. And her faith was released through what she said and through what she did. She said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. Those were when she's, and the, the, the Greek implies that she kept saying that in herself over and over. She kept repeating that all the while she's pressing through the crowd. That, that's a draw. And then finally the, the draw culminated when she reached out and touched. And when her hand made contact with his clothes, I mean, there was a draw. Like a, like a magnetic force. Just literally, I said literally, pulled healing power out of him and into her. Oh, friends, if we can see these things and learn these things, how many great things can happen in our midst? See, so many times people have not had the concept that is revealed in these verses. Somebody say, well, that, that, you know, that happened with Jesus and that just happened with one incident. No, no, no. It happened in many cases. And it's happened through the church in the book of Acts. And it's happened right on up until this day. God's never changed. His will has never changed. And faith is still faith. If you back up just a little bit, well, well actually not back up, but go over to Luke and look at Luke 6. Look at Luke's account of, it, uh, of another happening that's very, very similar. Luke 6, verse 17. Luke 6.17 And he came down with them and stood in the plain and the company of his disciples and a great multitude of people out of all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Zidon which came to hear him 
and to be healed of their diseases. And they that were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed. And the whole multitude, and we read about one woman that, that reached through and touched him, but this says the whole multitude sought to touch him. For there went virtue, that's the same word for power, dunamis, power. There went power out of him and healed the lucky ones. No, healed them all. Isn't that right? Here we see a whole multitude, a crowd of folk. At least hundreds, probably thousands of people who touched Jesus on this occasion and one by one as they touched, their faith drew power out of him and did heal them. Notice how the wording is, they came to hear and to be healed. We know what draws it out, it's faith. But how does faith come? By here, you've got to hear if you're going to have faith. If there's going to be any manifestation of power, there's got to be faith to draw it out. But if there's going to be any faith, there's got to be words preached and words heard to cause faith to rise. Right here we see that we see the whole cycle of miracles. The word preached that causes faith to rise. Faith released that draws out the power and the anointing that manifests the miracle. Thank God, thank God, thank God. Amen. Faith. Faith. Now when we, when we talk about faith to draw it out, they were drawing it out of, of uh, Jesus, weren't they? When they got to him and touched him, or touched the clothes that he had on, the, uh, the power came out. You know, the Bible tells us over in 2 Corinthians uh, 4 that we have this, this treasure in earthen vessels. The well of living waters. The Holy Ghost in an earthen vessel. Well, vessels are containers, aren't they? Containers to hold something, to carry something, to pour out something. And there, you know, the, it's like they're all coming up with their straws <laughs> and, and, and putting them in the container and drawing out what they need. See, these people particularly, they didn't have, they weren't born again. They didn't have the Holy Ghost in them. So there, there, there was no, you know, that, that was the, the primary way any of them could be healed. Now today we still have ministry through people, through men and women. Because rivers of living water can flow out of individuals to minister to other individuals. And God uses people's hands. But at the same time, we need to realize that all of us as Christians, we have the living well of water living inside of us. Amen? And instead of uh, looking around at uh, whose vessel we can drop our straw in to draw out, we can drop our straw into our own vessel and draw out. Amen? I know it's inconvenient sometimes when you need something to try to uh, find somebody else's vessel. When you have this treasure in your own vessel. But you know, it makes a lot of difference how you look at vessels as to how much you get out of them. God has ordained 
that we draw out of our own vessel things that benefit us and bless us. But he has also given gifts unto men, hasn't he? Ephesians 4 talks about that. Ministry gifts. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. And he's given uh, gifts of the Spirit that manifest through those, through those ministry gifts, as well as through the laity. Uh, gifts of healings, working the miracles, and special faith. All of these things. Gifts. But you know, you have to respect and receive the vessel in order to get what's in it out. How many know that, that no matter how thirsty you are, and no matter what quality of water is in a vessel in front of you, if you disdain the cup that it's in, and you refuse to drink because you don't like the cup, you'll stay dry. Is that right? But how many know that even though you may not particularly like the cup that well, if there's something in the cup that you need, you should receive from the cup. Amen. We read about people by the, by the mass, the multitudes, receiving through the vessel of Jesus. How the Holy Ghost was upon him and flowed through him, and they received on every hand. But we also see him going to his own hometown. And the people saying, we don't like the cup. You know what I mean by that? They judged him after the flesh and they said, well, this is, this is Joseph's boy. We know who he is. How come he's saying he's got these things? And who is he to stand up and say that he's anointed? We don't like this cup. We don't want to receive through this vessel. Oh, friend. If I had time and were so inclined and were permitted, which I'm neither one, I could tell you about instances that I know of personally. The Lord wanted to minister to people. And they needed the ministry and wanted the ministry. But they wouldn't receive it through the vessel that God chose. Wouldn't receive it through this vessel. Don't take it through them. Did you hear me? I know that if it's right, it's right. No matter who's doing the talking. No matter if it's your wife. If it's your husband. If it's your parent. If it's your pastor. If it's somebody you don't even know. Somebody that you've seen and didn't even care that much for. If it's right, it's right. And if it's God, it's God. Now we ought to judge all these things. Don't just swallow things just because somebody comes up with something. But if it's God, I don't care who it is. don't care whether you like them or whether you don't. Whether you like the way they look or, the, or you don't. Whether they've made mistakes you know about or not. If it's right, it's right. And you receive it. What folk don't realize oftentimes is they get to looking at a vessel. I'm not going to receive from them. And they don't realize they're rejecting the Lord's ministry to them. They're not just rejecting the person, they're rejecting the Lord. They're rejecting what he's saying, what he's doing. Because they're not wanting to receive it through that person. I hear sometimes people say, well, so-and-so is my favorite preacher. I like so-and-so, I like so-and-so. Other people, I don't care for them, I don't care for them. You have to watch that. I said, you have to watch that. It may be through the one you don't care for. That God wants to minister some things to you. 
Did you hear me? Well, I just don't like their way. Well, the Lord didn't say you had to like the cup and like all the designs on the cup or the way the handle's made or the color. If you want to drink, you better receive. Isn't that right? Christ to all of us. Judge things by the Word. Judge things by the Spirit. But if it's God, don't care who it's coming through, accept it. Receive it. Be thankful for it. Amen? Sometimes you may have to do a double take. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is that God talking to them? I know the way they act. I know the way they've done. I, you know. But if it's God, just take it. Receive it. Be glad for it. Vessels. We receive out of our own vessel, but we also receive through other vessels, don't we? Have you ever received anything through other vessels? Oh, dear Lord, I have. My, 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 my. Some vessels that God has ministered to me through. I'll be eternally grateful. I mean, the the things that God ministered to, to me through them has completely changed my life. Completely. Completely. But you've got to be careful about looking, get to, getting a look at the cup, getting a look at the vase, and deciding you don't want to drink from that cup anymore. The Bible said in, in Matthew, let's just turn and look at this and we'll close with this thought. The 10th chapter. I think you can see this is a whole teaching within itself. You could develop this for a long time. We don't have time today. But in Matthew 10, in the latter part of the chapter here, verse 41, it says, He that receiveth a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he that receiveth a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whosoever shall give a drink, everybody say a drink, a drink, unto one of these little ones, a cup of cold water only, in the name of a disciple, verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. Reward, he keeps talking about reward. Reward is something you get, something that, that's ministered to you. It can have several applications here. But did you notice that he talks about that the reward that you receive is determined by how you view and receive a vessel? If you receive a prophet, how? As a prophet, we could say. Or in the name of a prophet. Receive them for what they are, then what will you receive? A prophet's reward. Which we could say like this, you'll receive the full reward that can be ministered through that, through that vessel. Now, Brother Hagin stands in that ministry, the ministry of a prophet. And uh, I've been with his ministry for, for several years now. And I've been with him on crusades and been with him in meetings and here and there and a lot of different things. And I've seen it. He is a prophet and a teacher. And I've seen groups receive him as a teacher. And if you receive a prophet in the name of a teacher only, you know what you get? You get a teacher's reward. 
which is good, but it's not all. You understand? I've also seen him go to other places and churches and meetings where the pastors and the people would teach their people sometimes for two weeks before he got there about the ministry of the prophet and about these kind of things. And when he got there, immediately began to minister in this higher dimension of ministry. And they received him as a prophet, and they received a prophet's reward. They received not only the, the reward that's greater, the full thing. You see, uh, we, re- we, we receive out of our own vessels, but we also receive through other vessels, particularly through ministry vessels and the gift vessels that God's put in the church. We receive through them, but how we receive and how much we receive and what we receive is greatly affected by how we perceive them and by how we receive them. So, so greatly affected. I mean, Jesus stood in all the fivefold ministry offices as he walked the earth, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. He stood in all of them. He operated in all of them. But in his own hometown, he could there do nobody works. I mean, his ministry was virtually shut down except for a few people that were healed through the laying on of hands, and the Greek implies there wasn't much wrong with them. A few minor things happened, we could say. Why was his ministry so restricted and virtually shut down? Mark 6, 5. He could there do no mighty works. Didn't say he just decided not to. Could there do no mighty works. Why? Because they didn't receive him for what he was and for the call and place God had given him. Not just as the Son of God, but as a minister. They didn't receive him as that. They received him as Joseph's boy, the carpenter. And what kind of reward did they get? The carpenter's reward. Isn't that right? They could have received him as a prophet of God and could have had a move of God in town. Amen. But skepticism, unbelief, judging people after the flesh, all these kind of things will restrict ministry that could be received through vessels. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand me. Sometimes people will take things like this and they'll try to use it to their own advantage and say, well, so you should receive me in such and such way and this and that, and they'll push that. You understand what I'm saying? And uh, everybody that says I am a such and such is not necessarily one. You know, you can stand in the garage and say, I'm a car, but that don't make you one. Is that right? These ministry gifts are not just in title. They're in fruit and in power. Amen? And it's not just that some man or woman says that they're this or that. We're talking about something that God has done. Something that God has called and placed and anointed. But when you see this, you're to recognize it and receive it that way. Now, uh, I don't purport or claim to be anything except a minister of the gospel. I'm still young. You understand? I figure, you know, when you're young, you don't say too much. And if you got anything, it'll show up over a period of time. You understand what I'm saying? But, just in my ministry in the last several years, I have seen enormous differences in, in our ministry in different places and with different groups of people. Amen. There's some people that we've ministered to and gone to and about all you could do is a little bit of teaching 
And that's, that's about it, you know, which, which is good, you know, but, but it's just a, a small level. Other people, first day I'm with them. We have manifestations of the Spirit. We have miracles in the meetings. Amen. One, one of the things I was thinking about today that, that I, it, it stirred me up and it, it made me hungry for it is I've been, uh, you know, just fellowshipping with people and with pastors and with preachers before. And, and just brothers and sisters in the Lord. And as well as people that, I, that have worked with me. And, and I've worked with and worked under me and I've worked with and for. Where we just fellowship and talk and what have you. And there's people that, you know, that I've talked to and communed with and, and you just, you know, just, there was no opening there to say anything or to minister much of anything. And there's been other times when I've sat down with people and things started flowing out of me. Things I didn't even know. I'm learning while I'm talking. I tell you, I like that. I like that. Amen. Ain't no difference. It's how people esteem God and how they esteem you as His minister. How they look at you and how they view you. Amen. And sometimes people hesitate about talking about some of these things because they think, well, you're just trying to draw attention to yourself or to ministers and build ministers up. No, it's a principle in the Word that you need to understand and observe uh, that will determine how much you receive. How much you receive. Brother Hagin was healed, you remember, as a teenager. Later on in 1950, after ministering healing just by faith and anointing with oil and what have you, he was in a, a, a meeting and had a spectacular experience and the Lord he had a vision and saw the Lord and he said the Lord caught him up and he said among other things the Lord told him to hold out his hands and he told him uh, he said that the Lord put the finger of his uh, hand in the palm of each one of his hands and he said when he did they begin to burn like he's holding a coal of fire you know the Bible says that the angel took a coal of fire off of the altar and touched it to Isaiah's lips Symbolic of the anointing that had come on his mouth to speak the words of God. And uh, he said it began to burn. And he said the Lord told him, he said, I have called you and have anointed you. And have given unto you, this is what's happening now, given unto you a special anointing to minister to the sick. Now see, anybody lay hands on the sick, but not everybody has a special anointing. Not everybody's supposed to feel something when they lay hands on the sick. I think so many times charismatics, everybody's trying to feel something. And everybody's trying to have a special ministry. And that's not the case. You can lay hands on people, not feel a thing, and they can be perfectly healed. Did you hear me? You can anoint people with oil and not feel a thing, and people be healed. Didn't say believers will lay hands on the sick and they shall feel something. That said they shall, the sick shall recover. That's what it said. But, but he, he, here's a special ministry. See, the Bible said concerning Paul in Acts 19, God dropped special miracles, special, special. Miracles by the hands of Paul, so that from his body were brought into the sick handkerchiefs of aprons. And the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Here's this, here's this anointing that, that was drawn out of him into the cloth, and was drawn out of the cloth into the body of the oppressed. Drawn out. Faith is involved. And uh, he said that the Lord told him, he said, now this will not work. This special ministry will not work. Unless you tell the people. Tell them what? 
Tell them that I appeared to you. Tell them you saw me. Tell them I put the finger of my hand upon each one of your hands. Tell them that anointing is in your hands. Tell them if they'll believe that. Tell them if they'll believe that, that is believe you're anointed and believe that, that anointing's in your hands, then that anointing will flow out of you and into them and will drive out the sickness or disease and will affect the healing or cure in them. So he told them this won't work unless you tell them that. Look, brother, doesn't that sound like you're drawing attention to you? The anointing's on me, the anointing's in my hands. See, that's what, that's what the folk got mad about in Jesus' hometown when he stood up and said, the Spirit of the Lord's upon me because he's anointed me. Remember Peter and John at the gate called beautiful? They looked at the man and he said, look on us. But then later on in the passage when all the people began to look at him, he said, why do you look on us? As though by our own power of holiness we'd made this man to walk. See, there's a time to say, look on us. Why? Because of what we are? No. Because of what we can do? No. But because of what God's given us. The message He's given us. The anointing He's given us. Or whatever. Amen? But then if folk look to you like you're the one that does it, you say, ah, don't look on us. We're not the one that does it. We're simply vessels. But He told him, He said, this won't work unless you tell people that and unless they believe it. Can you see that? Now, the one reason I bring that up, you might say, well, yeah, I know about that. I wish Brother Hagin was here to lay hands on me. Well, he's not. And I'm not Brother Hagin. But I am an extension of his ministry. We've been with this ministry for several years now. And healing school. Worked under him personally for several years in the healing school here. And he's laid hands on me a couple of times in connection with healing school. First time he did, after he did, I noticed a degree of anointing I didn't have before. I believe it's a measure of that anointing that he's anointed with. Amen. Then he laid hands on me again later, a few years later, a couple of years later. And that anointing increased. Amen. And we've endeavored to be faithful with it and it gets stronger every year. Amen. And I want you, if you need to be healed today, I want you, like that woman with the issue of blood, to draw that anointing out. Amen. I'm going to lay hands on you. And I'm going to believe that the power of God ministers to you. With my faith, I'm going to endeavor to minister that to you. And with your faith, you draw it out. Amen. I'm not the healer. You know that. Brother Hagin's not the healer. No man or woman is the healer. But God's in us. God's in you. God's in me. Amen. He can move through us. He can move through our hands. Can't he? He can move through us and He can minister through us. Thanks be unto God. There's healing power today. Healing anointing. Life. You got problems in your mind. You got problems in your soul. You got problems in your body. You might say, yeah, but I got demons. I need deliverance. Anointing drives demons out. Remember that portion of Scripture in Acts 19? It says that when those cloths came that had the anointing in them, that anointing came into them, the Bible said the diseases departed from them and the evil spirits went out of them. Nobody discerned the spirit or cast the spirit out. The anointing drove it out. See, there are many ways to deal with these things. The anointing is what breaks the yoke of bondage. The anointing, the anointing, the anointing, the anointing. Praise God, praise God. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.